began this year with Psalm 51:10 as kind of a theme for the year, and it's something I've been praying over you as a church and as a as a body, and and for me, and even for our nation, as it seems like uh, there's so much just in that one verse about having the right attitude about who we are and what we believe and how we practice and how we treat one another. And so, would you just join me this morning in in reading Psalm 51:10 together? Uh, I think I've got it up there. Uh, Create in me. Oh Lord, give me spirit in me. Say that again, but say it prayerfully. Ask the Lord, create in me. I'm just going to really encourage you this week to put that on your heart, put that on your mirror, write it on the corners of your walls, on the doorpost of your homes as you go in and as you come out. That's also scripture too, by the way. And just ask the Lord to give us the right attitude. And it's, I think it's important sometimes when we begin to look at, at people in Scripture that give us these examples that we see, oh, well, that's a special person. God touched that person uh, and, and did supernatural things. But sometimes it's, it's, it's the right attitude, the, the renewed heart in us that we need to adopt to say, you know what, God, if you could do that for them, would you do that for me? Because I would like to be more like him. That person made it in, in, the, in the pages of Scripture as an example for all of us, and I'd like to have a renewed spirit, a right attitude, but it may have to start with creating a clean heart, God, because there's just a lot of yuck in there. And so I pray, I pray that you'll pray that, and I'll pray that over you this week as I continue to do so throughout this year. This morning, we are continuing our series, Fresh Start, and as I said earlier, sometimes we have a fresh start, we call a timeout, but, but, but it's, that, it's that reality that when we take a break or take a vacation or we step back for a minute, that we got to step back to it and it's going to be waiting on us, but what do we do differently? And I think part of that is making different decisions, different choices, and so as we talk through this fresh start, we're going to be looking at the life of Daniel. Uh, many of you, not unlike myself, appreciate motivation, appreciate someone giving you a little pep talk, appreciate having that extra energy. That's why we all work out so much, right? Because we're properly motivated, right? That, that's why when we don't feel like going to church, we go anyway because we're properly motivated, right? That's why Monday mornings come around, and it's the greatest moment in all the week when that alarm clock goes off on a Monday, and you go, wow, I get to go back to work. I'm motivated, right? To be fair, we all need some measure of motivation sometime to get us moving. One of my favorite authors, a non-Christian author, but one of my favorite authors is a guy named Jocko Willink. And Jocko Willink is a Navy SEAL who wrote a couple of great books, one of them called Extreme Ownership, which... Men especially, I highly recommend that you read that book. Uh, it is a great book. We actually went through it a couple of years ago. Some of our men did together and just looked at this Navy SEAL and how he tackles problems. Uh, he's created a, a consultant group, uh, but he has another book out called Discipline Equals Freedom. And he says this about motivation. He says, motivation is fickle. We could probably stop there, right? It, it comes and it goes. It is unreliable. And when you are counting on motivation to get your goals accomplished, you will likely fall short. I, hey, that's not scripture, but I'm telling you, that's truth right there. I, I, I'm not replacing that with the gospel by any means. But, man, that's just solid for me. 
It's fickle. It comes and goes. And sometimes the motivation that worked today is not going to work tomorrow. And sometimes I need a little bit more. And other times when I look and just go, I'm, I'm motivated to accomplish this task. Great. You're not equipped to accomplish the task. You're not skilled to accomplish the task. You don't have the resources to accomplish the task. But I'm motivated. It's kind of like when people quote that verse that pretty much fixes everything. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Yes, let's keep misquoting that. Because we do that often, right? We're motivated because Jesus wants me to do this. He wants you to do a lot of things that you're not motivated to do, and you don't do that somehow, to be fair. Perhaps it's the wrong motivation, right? But I agree with Jocko on this. Motivation is fickle. It comes and it goes, even though we need to be motivated. But it's the thing that actually that's missing behind the motivation that causes us to fail, that stops us from being successful. And this morning I want to talk to you about the choice of discipline about the decision of discipline, about the desire to be disciplined to do what motivation pushes us toward for the good things God has already created for us. And so our fresh start ideal this morning is to choose discipline in all that we do. And I've said it before and I'll say it again over the next couple of weeks is that our choices are more powerful than our circumstances. Our choices are more powerful than our circumstances, and when we choose discipline, as we're going to talk about today, whatever that circumstance may be, it will require more than motivation. It will require discipline to accomplish what it is that God has for us, and God knows that the circumstance that's in front of us is no match for Him, and if we are walking with Him and following Him, He will help provide for us what we have to do in order to accomplish whatever's in the midst of that circumstance. And one of the gifts, believe it or not, one of the gifts he gives us is the gift of discipline. Now, it's not a spiritual gift by any means, but it's just the the formula that we can find to say, listen, when we follow God, when we trust God, when we seek him first, when we knock, the door is answered, when we seek him with all our heart, he's there. When we do the things he told us to do, when we spend time with him, when we shun what is evil and we embrace what is good according to the scriptures, when we do those things in discipline as a habit, as a part of our life, whatever circumstance comes our way, We have the discipline to move through that because that discipline also puts our reliance upon God, not some sort of external motivation. Is that fair to say? I think it is. I think it it, it tackles my life a lot just to say, man, sometimes I'm not really motivated, but it is that discipline that requires me to get up. I've never served in the military. I know lots of people who have, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of motivation that they can force upon you that has absolutely no impact outside of discipline outside of discipline and people who are disciplined do things regularly consistently with the renewed heart the right attitude because that discipline makes a difference and it matters and it matters on a grand scale and so this morning if you have your bible with you i'm going to invite you to turn with me to daniel chapter six and we're going to continue looking at the life of daniel uh, we're going to we're going to tackle verses four through nine this morning but i'm going to pull back a little bit from last week and get us moving forward just a touch. Daniel, as you'll remember, uh, has been exiled as a teenager. He's lived under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dies. Darius the Mede comes to, to seize power. He says, you know what? I I have this kingdom, but it needs to be managed well. And there's this guy named Daniel who's really smart. He is a Jew, 
but he's really smart, and he's a person of strong character. He makes good decisions and great choices. People trust and respect him. And so I'm going to put three managers over all my kingdom and then a, another uh, 120 or so uh, other people to help lower middle management to, to manage my kingdom. But Daniel I'm going to elevate to the top because there is a right spirit within him. And so even Darius had noticed that Daniel is a good leader and he's respected and he's strong and he's smart and he makes good choices and he's a person of good character. That's the type of person that I think we all kind of long to be. But now we have a problem. There's 122 other people that are looking at Daniel and going, "Uh uh-uh, we don't like this guy. We don't like this guy because what most likely has been happening in the first couple of verses of chapter 6, we find that Daniel is placed in a position of authority and responsibility to stop the king from suffering loss. And the reason why the king was suffering loss most likely is because the other 122 leaders had been cut. They're taking their share off the top. They have been dishonest with the king. And now there's this one guy who's not being dishonest, and this is going to be a problem for all the rest of them. It literally is 122 to 1. Those are not good odds. Those are not good odds. So read with me, beginning in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 4 together. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse 4, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But... They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Just think about that for a second. They found no fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. 122 people with influence, authority, power sought out how to find this guy doing something wrong and they could not find it. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't say that about myself. Can I say that about you? Can you say that about yourself? Do you know someone who, just looking at verse 4, if we were to look at their life and say, you know what, this person is faithful, they are trustworthy, they are honest, and we can find no fault in them whatsoever. They treat people the right way. They do what is right. They are a person of high character and high standard always. When we talk about this word faithful, when they say that he is faithful, it's not just they looked a little bit. They dug through all of his tax returns of the previous 10 years, right? They looked at everything that he had done. They looked at all the relationships that he had been a part of over the last 70 years as being an exiled Jew in this this land by which he was under the oppression of another government. He was faithful, which says he is consistent which means that he is regular, which means you can set your clock by him, which means that he is disciplined in what he is doing and who he is. This morning, I, th- I want to share with you that discipline defines us even to our enemies. Discipline defines us even to our enemies. Warren Wiersbe is one of my favorite commentators, and he says, the greater a man is in the eyes of God, the more his enemies hate him. Do you have that problem? Because it's really interesting when you start thinking about his character is defined by the decisions that he's made, but his discipline defines him against his enemies because he's faithful and he is honest and he is true and he is consistent and he is disciplined in such a way that they're watching his life and he never strays out of his lane. He stays where he's supposed to be. 
This is who he always is. This isn't just who he is most of the time or when some of them are looking. This is who Daniel always is. He is a disciplined person. And because he is disciplined, he is successful. And because he is disciplined, he is successful. And because of that, other people watch him and they do not like him. Because he's disciplined and successful, they know that when it comes to a gray area or moving to the edges here, we're never going to get Daniel on our side. And the problem with that for 122 other leaders here who are underneath the king and Daniel being second in command is we really need this guy to get out of his lane so we can keep skimming off the top. What we really need is for him to no longer be disciplined. What they're missing is is that that it's his discipline that has allowed this kingdom to be successful. It is his discipline that has set up this place to continue to do great things for the king to not suffer loss. But yet they want him to step out of his discipline so that they can continue to be disciplined in being thieves and liars and cheaters. But he's faithful, and he's not found that. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, let that just sink in just a little bit. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You have issues with self-control? Put a key lime pie in front of me. I'll show you what that looks like. I have issues with that. Put that bluebell coconut cream pie ice cream in front of me. I have issues with self-control. Put a 24-ounce porterhouse in front of me. I'll show you issues with self-control. Usually, I believe that people make bad decisions because the circumstances are right for them not to make good decisions. Many of times, I'd seen people in my retail past, many of that I have sent to jail over the years. Most I had terminated or fired or caught them for theft or whatever. And many times, it wasn't just that they are bad because man is inherently bad. It was because they were placed into a position where their character was questioned and challenged and no one was looking at their discipline and they made a bad decision that led to a loss to the company. I used to do this terrible thing whenever I would interview somebody that I caught stealing from the company. I'd walk in with a videotape. Usually it was a training videotape, like how to operate a forklift or whatever. And I'd go grab a bunch of papers, even out of the trash can. I'd put them into a file. I'd lay them down there on the desk and I'd put the videotape right there and I'd sit across from this individual and I I would ask them this, simply this. Tell me the first time you caused a loss to the company. Well, you know, I I stole this money. No, 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 I know all about that. And I'd tap that videotape. Tell me the first time you caused a loss to the company. And the whole time they're looking at you half afraid, and they keep looking at that videotape. What what does he not tell me? What does he know? Where has my character been digitally collected? And what is he about to throw in my face? They didn't know what I didn't know, but they told me everything I didn't know. And they'd start singing like birds, man. And what finally, after I don't know how many times I'd done this over the years, somebody finally says, what's on that tape? I'm like, oh, that's the forklift training tape. <laughs> I could faithfully count on you to tell me everything once you knew you were caught. But I could also count on you not to. Because you were like a city without walls. You were not self-controlled. You were not disciplined. That just made you free game for anyone to take advantage of you. It made you free game for anyone to cause your character to come into question because you are not disciplined. When people are not disciplined, and for those of you in the military, you know this probably all too well, the undisciplined soldier is a liability to everybody else. It's not just about his own life. It is about the life of his brother and sister on his left and his right. An undisciplined soldier gets thrown out quickly. 
If you've seen that great theological movie, A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson, it's time to call a code red on the undisciplined soldier. Right? If you haven't seen it, that is not an endorsement. Don't go watch it. Titus chapter 2, verse 12 also tells us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's why discipline must define us. Because in this present age, we're living out in a very ungodly time. And it's going to be those of us who submit to the authority of God and say, I'm going to do what is right because it is always right. I'm going to be faithful because God has placed me in a place to be faithful and be a place and a person of influence in different people's lives. That I'm going to live a a, a godly, upright life, which means upright. My relationship with him is right. And I'm going to lead a blameless life, which means my relationship with others is right in such a way that my walls are not torn down and I'm going to be disciplined in such a way so that I am ready for whatever comes my way so that I may continue to serve the kingdom of God and that I might be a place that others can turn to when they are struggling. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? That's the nature of us being disciplined in what we do. Find yourself in great financial trouble because your lack of discipline in your finances and where will you go? You'll go to someone who is disciplined in their finances and ask them for help. Sometimes we call them banks. Other times we call them mom and dad. For many years, mom and dad and banks will be one and the same. Because parents are usually more disciplined with those types of things than what their kids are. And they have to be learned. They have to be taught to do those things. Discipline defines us. Even our enemies recognize that. Daniel's enemies looked for something about him, and they found absolutely nothing. Look with me in verse 5. Then these men said... We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. (laughs) This is getting good. I don't know about you, but for me, I've I've read this about 100 times this week, and I'm like, man, I know I've read this before, but oh my gosh. If you want an example of what not to do, this is it right here in the next couple of verses. This is it. So first of all, you know how hard it is to get 122 people to be in agreement about anything? I mean about anything. My first job in retail, I managed the front end of a Walmart. I had 87 cashiers. Let me tell you what they agreed on. Nobody likes John. That was it. They had a common enemy, and I was him because I was the guy writing the schedules and the guy giving raises and terminating people and everything else. They at least had a common enemy, right? Here's 122 leaders that are looking at Daniel and saying, we can't find anything wrong with him, so I know what we'll do. Let's collectively make this great decision. Let's go after his God. Genius. Morons. They collectively got together and said, let's do this. And one by one, yeah, it's a great idea. Awesome, dude, yes. They were motivated to do something dumb. So much that they talked themselves into it that they walked into the king and said with flattery, oh, King Darius, live forever because in our collective brain trust, we have decided that we're going to elevate you by talking bad against the God who has delivered Daniel before, 
and we'll do it again according to his customs and his ways and to what he's told us. But we've got this great plan, O King Darius. Daniel's God obviously is wrong. That's why we can't find anything wrong with him. Just think about this. This is crazy talk. But, oh, King Darius, live forever. You're the greatest king always. And we have a plan to help everyone else in the kingdom see how awesome you are. Because you just took over the kingdom. You just, you just took over this newly, this oldly oppressed people. You're the new king. So now we've gone from Persian to, 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 to the Medes, and you're the new king. And everybody needs to see your power and your authority. And we've got this great plan that we've cooked up collectively. We've gotten together and done a really dumb thing that we're proud of. Let's go after Daniel's God. Let's attack him because Daniel's off limits. I, I need you just really to wrap your mind around that for just a second. And think about how crazy that is. They find no fault with a man, but they go after his God. The one that we would claim the one true God who is without fault. Who is perfect in every way. Who likewise is always faithful to us, especially when we are not faithful to him. And this group of people who, by the way, worship all kinds of different gods, have determined that this God that Daniel serves... We need to go after and attack him and his ways and his laws. And the way that we do that is by deception and lies because discipline divides the righteous from the unrighteous. Just consider that for a moment. Discipline divides the righteous from the unrighteous. He will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep know my voice and they hear me and they come when I call them. The rest... Depart from me, I do not know you. Joel tells us about the valley of decision by which all the people will be gathered before the great judgment of the, the great and, and, and awful day of the Lord, as it says in some translations. And at that day, in that valley of decision, that decision has been made that these will come with, with the king forever and these will perish forever. And a God who has the authority to do that is one you probably don't want to mess with this way. And you certainly don't want to be around people who are influencing you to do the same thing. But yet, they found a place where they could be satisfied in their collective sin. Jump on that for a second, if you will. You got places like that. You got circles like that. You got friends like that. You got people that you just love them. But collectively, they're drawing you away from the one true God. And I got news for you. I don't care how motivated you are to follow God. You're going to have to be disciplined to stand up in the face of 122 to 1. You may have to be disciplined to stand up as one against one. And that's why you can't just sometimes be disciplined. That's why you have to always be disciplined as a lifestyle. You have to understand Exodus chapter 14, after Moses had brought the people out of the promised land, the Ten Commandments are given, and, and, and they're, 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 they're running around there, and they're saying, hey, all these enemies are coming against us. And I love what God says to, to Moses about this time. He says this. He says in, in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only but to be silent. Oh, man. But God, I'm your mouthpiece because I'm a Christian. And I need to go out there and tell everybody how bad they are and how awful they are and how, how you're coming to, coming to get them. Hey, if God's called you to be a prophet, then, hey, that's the message you're supposed to be delivering. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a whole lot more to be said about the disciplined life you have in following God, trusting God, 
being on the righteous side of that division, not on the unrighteous side of that division, because no matter the circumstance, no matter the problem, no matter the challenge, the discipline I have to know God, to learn about him, to study him, to follow him, to focus upon him is going to overcome all those things. And when I find myself in the arrogant place where I need to stand up and defend God, it's probably better that I just keep my mouth shut and let my actions do the talking. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up and say, listen, we love God and God is, is true and he is right and he is just and he is consistent and he is loving and he is kind and he is vengeful and he is wrathful and he is judgmental and he will be. That is who he is because of his character. But in the process of the character of God, we must understand that in his wholeness, he is trying to make me holy. And the only way that I'm going to be like him is by discipline. I'm in a process of sanctification where I'm being made like Christ. And in that making, that sanctifying process, I'm being disciplined. And I'm learning to and what not to. And sometimes I get my mouth running before my brain and my heart engages. And as a Christ follower, that's one of the great challenges that we have. Oh, that we could be more like Daniel. Wow, we can't find anything wrong with John. Let's go after his God. It's ludicrous when you think about it on the other side. But this has been man embracing sin. And the activities that come from willingly embracing sinful lifestyles say, let's attack the rule maker because we don't like the rules. Let's see what Daniel does next. Verse 7. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This is crazy. But I saw something in this passage this week that I've never seen before. I've read Daniel and Lion's Den since I was able to read. I've read this passage I don't know how many times. But I, I want you to see the progression of what happens from verse 7 to verse 9 throughout this. All of them got together. They were in agreement. They collectively made a bad decision by which 122 of them said, yes, let's do this. And then they asked the king to put his seal, his stamp, his signature of approval, his executive order, if you will. I know that makes some of you laugh. Asked them to put this in such a way because the, the Medo-Persian law was so ironclad that it could not be changed. And everybody had to adhere to it, including the king himself. The king could not even violate his own laws. It used to be good to be the king. But here's something that I notice in this passage here, and perhaps as, if you read back through this, that, that this really is, is, is strange to me. The Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire, were, were polytheists. They worshipped a lot of different gods. They made a lot of different crazy sacrifices. They did a lot of things that were really, really, really weird to a, 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 a monotheistic god like we serve. And any time this would happen, oh, I had a hangnail, you should make a sacrifice. Oh, my, my, my calf died over here, oh, you should make a sacrifice. They would have all these different things, right? But here's what they collectively did. In their arrogance and in their foolishness and in their nonsense and their really bad decisions, what they managed to do was corner themselves into a place to say that not only can Daniel, the one, 
okay? The, the single individual, Daniel cannot pray to a God that we can't find fault in, but now none of us can pray to our own gods. Now, I, I just want you to think about that for a second. We don't know this God. We do hate this Daniel, and we hate him so much that we're not even going to make it legal to pray to our own gods. Man, you want to talk about pride and arrogance and foolishness? You want to talk about a, a kingdom whose walls are torn down and left exposed? Consider what would happen should someone rise up against the Medes and say, we're going to go take them. Let's all pray. Oh, dang, we can't. Oh, man, we got 26 days left. We can't pray to our gods about this. I guess we're just going to have to go out and fight these guys without God or without one of our hundred gods. Oh, King Darius, live forever. You're our God now. You're our king now. You're greater than all the gods because we can only pray to you for the next 30 days. Now, just I want you to think about this for a second, and I want to ask you a hard question, and I hope this one lands hard too, like kidney punch hard, right? In the last 30 days, have you taken advantage of spending time with your God and just praying and talking with him? Or have you... Just listen to the prayers of others. Do you, by obligation, stop and pray for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for our food. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. We thank you for this food. I don't care how big the words are that you pray, but have you sat down and kneeled your heart before your God? Because see, discipline defends us from self-destruction. And that's where the Medes and the Persians missed it. And that's where this one man who was elevated to second in command over all of this empire, who had been exiled from his promised land, and God had raised him up so the king would not suffer loss, he said, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray to the one true God. And I'm going to be faithful because I'm going to be disciplined and that whatever happens, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, morning, noon, and night, I'm going to spend time with my God, and I don't care what these laws tell me I can and cannot do. And I don't care that you don't like my God enough that you want him to change his laws so that it's acceptable for me to do whatever, because I know that God, because I am disciplined and faithful in spending time with him. I know his Old Testament scriptures that were left for me. I know his Psalms that were left for me. His Holy Spirit lives within me if I've accepted Christ, his son, as my, my Savior. And I'm going to spend time with him, not because I'm obligated to do so, because I'm disciplined to do so, because I embrace the time I have with my God, my Creator, because the discipline of spending time with him stops me from the discipline of complaining and whining and griping and pointing the finger. And that's discipline too, like it or not. Discipline sometimes look like habits. They often look like gossip. And here's Daniel. Allowing his discipline to defend him from self-destruction. And here's all these other people. <laughs> I got a plan. Oh, great idea. Let's do this together. Oh, king, we got an idea. You're going to be elevated among all people and these Jews are going to see that you're powerful because you're 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 lording over them they're going to see that you're the greatest ones because you're not going to let them pray to their God and oh by the way we can't pray to ours either because that's the that's the new law there wasn't one amongst them in this giant group think that said hey fellas um does anybody else see a fundamental problem with this or 
Are you just so far away from your God that missing 30 days worth of prayer is not really a big deal? Can't say amen. You got to say ouch, right? Bodhi Bakken said that. Should the laws in this great nation that we live in change and tell us that we're not allowed to pray in our schools like it did in 57, I believe it was, or in public places or in different buildings? That we should allow different religions to have different places and times by which they can stop and pray in our public schools that we can't do that ourselves. Well, I guess that's the law. I guess I just won't pray because that's the law. Let me tell you something, friends. Here's one of the scariest things, and I feel like we're, we're really kind of going back there today, is the problem with the Old Testament law and the problem with the Jews once Christ returned or showed up for the first time and he returned from, from death and appeared before all the rest of them, that they looked at him and they did not see the Messiah. They saw the law, and they worshiped the law so much that they couldn't see the truth. And the law was designed to point us towards our need for salvation. And when we go changing that law to stop us from pointing towards our need for salvation, then what we miss is this tool that was given to us in the law to point us back to the truth of Jesus Christ. And the more and more we trust in a government or in a law or a system that tells us that we don't like, know, trust, or believe in your God, so let's change his rules, then the further and further we slip away when we continue to embrace the law because the law is here to protect me. The law is here to provide for me. The law is here to care for me. The law is here so I don't have to be disciplined. Just settle on that for a minute. I don't know how many of you have paid into Social Security. The answer is all of you. But I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how much of that I'm going to see back. I don't know how much my kids are going to see back. And I don't care what your politics are. I don't care about everything else. I'm just talking economically. The law has required me to give part of my paycheck here so that the rest of people who need these services, and people do need these services, partly because, just to be fair, the church has let down the rest of the world. And we've trusted government to fix all these things that the church ought to be doing. But it's the law. And so let's quibble over it some more. Do I tithe before Social Security or after? Psalm 57.6 is a passage. Honestly, I can't remember ever reading it, but it just jumped out this week. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Man, that's what happens when an undisciplined heart seeks to destroy the ideal of God, the truth of God, to take him out of the equation of humanity, to take him away so that it becomes illegal to worship a God who supersedes all of those things. They lay a trap, hoping that you'll violate that trap, and look, they're falling into it themselves. Friends, we do that a lot when we put up these edicts about how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to act, and we throw everything in this moral category, and we just skip the relationship with God. That's not just discipline. That's anger. That's power. That's not trust. It's not faithfulness. The final thing I want to share with you is that discipline actually does deliver us. Discipline delivers us. I love World War II and some of the stories, part of the greatest generation and the things that some of these men and women did. 
some of the stories of, of the, the guys that won Purple Hearts and the ones that, that, that won the Congressional Medals of Honor, even those who have been given it posthumously, we go back and we hear about their stories. Audie Murphy was one of the great actors that we liked, and Chesty Puller and these types of guys. That their acts of heroin were, heroism were so great that everybody knows their names, that their names are, are passed down through the legends of those because these are heroes. These are people who were so disciplined that when the moment came that they needed to do the right thing, they did that despite the cost, even to the point of losing their own life. That's discipline when it's a choice, knowing that in the face of danger and death, discipline delivers us. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read a long passage for you. I want you to listen to this and understand how discipline has been here for all of us. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Man, that story is several folds. It speaks not only to God disciplining us because he loves us and preparing us for the, for the moment and for the future so that we might walk in his ways and know his ways. And so that when we get a little far out of line, he brings us back in. And if we do it a second time willfully, he taps us a little bit. And the third time, maybe he brings out the wooden spoon. But he does that because he loves us so that we don't just get by with the little things and start uh, accepting the, the little white lies and the gray areas and the, the, the small sins as we try to associate them. So that we get dealt with in those things so that when the big problems of life come in our way, we get walked back in so that we're towing the line and following God for the way that we're supposed to follow him. This story also speaks to the truth of a God who loved us so much that the discipline of his son who had full choice to not go to the cross, even as he prayed to the point of blood pouring out of him. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there is any other way to save all these people that you love so much, but since there is not, I will discipline willingly faithfully go to that cross on their behalf. And I won't like it for a time, but I will rise from that grave in three days and I will demonstrate that the discipline of the temptation in the wilderness, the discipline of all 
the other things, the power, the, 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 the enemy himself trying to give Jesus the world which he did not own. The discipline was for him to say, my father and I are one, and I do his will, and he tells me what that is. And his will is for me to go to the cross and to be disciplined for the sins I did not commit, but to take on the sins of the world. And he did so faithfully. And discipline delivered us. Our discipline wants to continue to deliver us. And the person of Daniel shows us that whenever we get a fresh start and something new comes, where it's time for a change, or the overwhelming reality of life, sometimes we stop, we look at it, we assess it, and we decide right now, you know what I'm going to do to stop myself from getting back in this, this tired, this scared, this burnout place? I'm going to choose to be disciplined which means I'm going to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. I'm not going to let motivation be the only thing that fails me. I'm going to be disciplined in trusting God and following Him. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, we see what happens after the king signed the edict and after he made it illegal for everyone else to pray. He was so pumped up with his ego, it says this in, in, in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the, his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got on his knees three times a day in violation of the new law, in violation of the edict, in violation of the king, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had, listen to this, done previously. Discipline has to start somewhere. And it's when the pressures and the squeeze and the circumstances of life start to pour in on us, we revert back to the things we had done previously. And if they're disciplined things that follow the Lord, then they'll defend us. They'll protect us. They'll stop us from making those decisions because they were right then and they're right now. And they were for a time. We may not have realized at the time the discipline that we're being built up for. But when the moment came, we were disciplined to act appropriately in the moment. And that's why discipline helps my choices overcome my circumstances. That's what Daniel did. 122 to 1, all in Congress, said, hey, king, you're the greatest. But this Daniel guy over here, he wants to undercut you. But he's really not a bad guy, but his God is. We can't really tell you why. Well, here's what we think you should do. Stop letting people talk to their God because we think that's inherently bad. It's ludicrous. I found myself many times laughing about that. And part of that was just the response of going, you know what, I have full access to God and I don't take advantage of it because I'm undisciplined. We're going to pick up next week in verse 10. We're going to see the consequences of Daniel's actions for doing what he had previously done, disciplining himself to the point of saying, you can pass whatever law you want, but I'm going to just go follow my God because he loves me. And I encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless you, we love you, we praise you, Lord, for you are you are a good, good father who disciplines his children. Father, you do so lovingly, you do so kindly, you do so justly. And so, God, in the midst of our lives, we sometimes find ourselves in circumstances that seem overwhelming and out of our control. And, Father, most of the time that's true. So, Lord, I pray that you would create in us clean hearts and renew in us the right spirit so that we might learn your ways and walk in your ways all the days of our lives. And Father, as parents, as grandparents, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might talk.
talk about your ways when we get up and when we lie down, when we walk along the road, Lord, that we would find those places of discipline so that our discipline choices overwhelm the circumstances that are out there. God, I pray that we would not look to the law to save us because it will not, it has not, and it never will. But Lord, instead, I pray that the law points us towards our need for a Savior, a Savior so disciplined that he took the lashes that were not meant for him. He took the nails that were reserved for each and every one of us. And he conquered death because we couldn't do it. And so, Father, we thank you that you discipline us because you love us. God, I pray over this congregation this week that, that, that we, each and every one of us, would embrace the access we have to you and that we would be disciplined, that we would pray without ceasing, that we wouldn't be anxious in anything, Lord, but instead with prayer and supplication, put our petitions before you. That our ways would become your ways, Lord, and that would be because we spend time with you and we know you. So, Father, help us be more like Daniel. Help us to make good decisions faithfully to to be in a right place where there's no fault found in us. Father, thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. Lord, we thank you that you provide for this church and for us to be able to meet in this place and for us to do evangelism and to do other outreaches to to serve other community partners, Lord, that, that help those. Father, would you bless the offering that we have today? Lord, multiply it beyond belief. Teach us, Lord, to be disciplined in our finances so that we make wise decisions for the kingdom of God so that it might advance so that dead men may come to life. Father, thanks for disciplining us because you love us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pass the offering plates.